Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IEQ Radio, on Friday, December 14th, 2012. Episode 267 is being broadcast live from our Studio C in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Cliff Slotnick, or the Z-Man. Today, our co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, is teaching courses down in South Carolina. So, uh, hey to Joe, and uh, hey to the students down there. At the controls is our lovely engineer, Roxy V. Valbender. Good afternoon, everyone. Today's segments include the IEQ Radio Trivia Question. An interview with our guest, disaster restoration large loss specialist, Jim Thompson. Roundup with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. I write and post a blog after each show. Check it out at our website, www.iaqradio.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. To listen live, follow the link on your show invitation or the Go to the Show button on the iaqradio.com website. You can stream past shows directly from our website homepage or you can download the show by going to iaqradio.com and follow the link that says Go to the Show. Right-click on the download button and save to your favorite MP3 player. And, of course, the show is available from iTunes. Don't forget, you can get ABIHCM points, IICRC, continuing education credits, or ACAC renewal credits by emailing Joe Hughes and requesting the quiz. Joe's email is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com.
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. You can email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. To Andy Krozowski, Concast Metal Products, Mars PA, for being the first person to identify Albert Einstein for the quotation, quote, any intelligent fool can make things bigger and more complex. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction, unquote. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, December 14th, 2012, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their electronic membership category at their website, www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. How did NASA's Mercury space capsules get their name? Our guest today is Jim Thompson. For over 25 years, Jim's company, Jim Thompson & Company, Inc., handled large commercial and industrial losses in 43 states from Alaska down to Puerto Rico. Jim Thompson consults with insurance companies, risk managers, and restoration firms about large, complex commercial and industrial disaster restoration claims. Jim now conducts workshops to train select restoration companies to handle larger commercial industrial restoration projects. When he's not training or consulting, Jim works with restoration contractors and insurance companies. He works with Spacebound, an educational program developed at NASA Ames, whose mission is to train the next generation of space explorers by having students and teachers participate in the exploration of scientifically interesting but remote and extreme environments on Earth as analogs for human exploration of Moon and Mars. Jim has some unusual letters after his name. Jim is a fellow Royal Geographical Society member. He's a fellow of the Academy of Wilderness Medicine, and he's a fellow of the Explorers Club. He holds a commercial multi-engine pilot's license with instrument and lighter than air with high altitude ratings. Jim, thank you for joining me today and our guests uh, on IAQ Radio. We have some music for you. Would you like to ride in my beautiful balloon? Would you like to glide in my beautiful balloon? We could float among the stars together, you and I. For we can fly, yeah, we can fly up, up and away. All right, Jim, I think we have you. Jim, are you there? I'm here, Cliff, and thank you very much for playing one of my theme songs. <laughs> no problem. It's a good one. I like that Nancy Sinatra version. Uh, worked out pretty well. Well, Jim, you grew quickly from a Sears wet fact to becoming one of the industry's high-profile restoration contractors. Let's talk a little bit about your story. Like, What are the co career highlights? When did you start? And how long did you take it to get into the big leagues? 
Well, Cliff, as you might remember, I think I met you back in 1980 or thereabouts at the Association Interior Corps Specialist Conference in uh, Vegas. Remember when we had AIDS members on the Caesars Marquee? Right, I remember. <laughs> in a while. And uh, I have always loved large losses. Uh, I started with better cleaning service and uh, in St. Louis because my competitor said he was just clean. I figured I could clean it better. <laughs> you and I got together. We did uh, RestoreX. We had a lot of fun. And uh, and you really helped me, in all honesty. You came down. You showed me how to do strip malls when strip malls scared the heck out of me and large hotels when they did. And uh, by having that mentorship and uh, in friendship with you and Lloyd, I was able to get together with some major insurance companies at a very young age, at a very, when I first, first started. And they kind of took me under their wing and said, this is how we like factories done. And for some reason, I preferred factories. I preferred large retail malls over housewives. I just never got along with somebody crying over their couch, but I love getting production back in operation. You know, I remember growing up, uh, I watched Red Adair on, on TV, and, you know, he had kind of that, that history. And, you know, I look at Red Adair as being one of those larger-than-life you know than life people, and I think you are also one of those people. You kind of have the charisma. Uh, you know, in, in the early – I remember when I first started in a restoration, uh, we would have no idea – uh, how to do the work, and what we would do is somehow sell the project and then somehow put together how to get it done. <laughs> and I think the industry has matured a lot since then. I mean, do you think someone could repeat your wet-vac-to-riches success story today? Absolutely. They might not do it the same exact way because as a friend of mine who ran my competitor for 16 years said we competed in the wild and woolly times. In those days when I started, there was a very few icons in our industry. We had Major Long down in Atlanta, Rich Coleman in Dallas, Jim Jacobs in St. Louis, Nancy and Earl Woodard there, of course. And they were basically rug-cleaning people who became into the carpet-drying, carpet-cleaning arena. One thing I've been very fortunate to be a part of is to watch the industrial large commercial sector go. There is no way that you can treat a large factory or shopping mall, large box mark, the same way you do a house lot. They're just two different animals. They're just two different. So if you show up with 10 carpet cleaning trucks in a factory, you'll probably get kicked right off the job because you don't fit in. Going back to how someone can do it, I think what they need to do is find out what their passion is, Cliff. They need to find out what they love to do, what they would rather stay up night working doing than going on a date with a girlfriend or going to Vegas to gamble or something like that. What is it they really love to do in any industry, well, in our industry, and follow that dream. Learn everything there is to know about it. Just turn it inside out. Make it their creation. And I think the sky's the limit. I don't think there's enough money out there that could limit that. What makes you the guy to contact when a disaster restoration firm wants to get into the big leagues i did start with a serious wet back and i got up to the point where i said i was a multi-millionaire because i paid millions of dollars in taxes in a year (laughs) 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 you know you have it you give it to the government what the hell there are not a lot of people if any that i know of that are training consulting on the level of large industrial who have actually started a company and ran it in 43 states, to be honest with you. And as you know, Cliff, 
I absolutely have a passion and had a passion all my life for being out there on the cruise, out there running the lifts, out there up on the snorkel booms, etc. I was never an armchair type manager. You mentioned one of my heroes, uh, Red Adair. Right. He was the guy that could go out there and do it himself. He knew mud. He knew the consistency of grain. He knew sand. He knew mud. You don't think of that when you think of Red Adair, but he was an expert at his trade. And hopefully, that's what I've become. You know, I thought one of the interesting things is I remember when you, uh, you know, named the company Disaster Strike Force. You had your name up above that. It was Jim Thompson's Disaster Strike Force. And, you know, you kind of took this defiant pose, you know, standing with your arms crossed. <laughs> and, and it said on there, an all-American company. And, you know, I just loved it because, you know, there were foreign companies that, you know, came to the United States and, uh, you know, we're doing big business here in drying and in restoration. So, uh, you know, I kind of appreciated, uh, you know, the, the American uh, flag and everything. Well, if you realize uh, what you left out was my favorite, which was the sticker over my head in that ad that said, we'll work for hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> That's uh, my competitors, yes. Munters was owned in Sweden. Belfour was coming in from Germany, uh, Serpro out of Canada, etc. And in those days, I thought a little flag waving was to do, and my wife says, you must be doing something right, because immediately thereafter, Belfour changed their name to Belfour USA. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I would fly out in the middle of the night. As you know, I had company aircraft. I would fly out. I would be in Tupancari, New Mexico, or Kodiak, Alaska, or charter a DC-9 down to San Juan, Puerto Rico, full of hazmat or gen sets full of diesel fuel and everything. And the next day, be in Port Clear, Alabama for a Marriott, and the next day, be over at uh, Houston, et cetera. And I just spent years on the road like that. Now I'm working with companies that I think it's kind of funny. I love being a consultant here because I can see where they're going. I can see their situations are facing. And I might be able to give them a pointer or two of how I overcame not the exact same situation, but a similar situation so that they can incorporate some of my stuff into what they're doing to overcome the challenges that, to be honest with you, most restoration companies are running into some of the same challenges. Right. right. I mean, did you ever get burnt out? I mean, uh, you know, you you know, you retired early, you know, uh, is, was it burnout or was there another reason that, that caused you to retire from doing cat losses? Well, I don't think I retired. I just went on an extended vacation. <laughs> uh, yeah. After Katrina, I think that was about 30 years into it. I'd seen it all. I'd smelled it all, et cetera. And my research was picked up as you mentioned about NASA. And NASA scientists came to me and said, Jim, you've got to stop thinking terrestrial, you know, finding water on substrates on surfaces. Think extraterrestrial. And I'm thinking, man, if I wasn't at a NASA base with respect to NASA PhD, I think I'm on freaking candy camera, Cliff. You want me to look for water on Mars because I know how to find water behind substrates on walls? Oh, okay. I can do that. Right. And uh, I, I really, really got into the research. I really enjoyed the heck out of it. I'd go to Greece. I'd go to Canada and to the outback of Australia. I'd go to the Atacama Desert. And after 30 years of being disaster gym and handling the biggest, baddest disasters American corporations ever had, and everything, everything was an emergency and everything on a beeper. Most of the middle, buddy, it was kind of nice to kick a campfire with a bunch of astronauts and a bunch of scientists 
and just be one of the guys. Let's talk about some of the subject matter that you cover in this very unique training course that you teach, whereby uh, you show smaller or medium-sized restoration companies how to get into the big leaves. Well, it's kind of funny you said that, because I remember when you first came down to St. Louis to help me, I called you in from Homestead. I was scared to death. I had a strip mall that had one little bookstore. The smoke went up over the... uh, over the open web face beams, went into the next hardware store, and I called you in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What do I do? It's in two stores. And it was like, what, 1,200 square feet? <laughs> 15, 1,600 square feet. <laughs> the other day, or recently, last couple months, I was called into uh, a suburb of Chicago, and there was a guy that called me in there. He had a strip mall. It was 2,800 square feet, one store. The smoke went up in the, uh, up in the smoke curtain up above the ceiling board. And he was absolutely perplexed on how to handle this. And I told him to go to John Don, get himself a thermal gen, get himself a ULV, get himself some unsud, et cetera, and have the guys down at John Don give him some instruction on how to do it, put it up there, charge a nickel square foot for this substrate, nickel square foot for that substrate, three cents a square foot or cube for the deodorizing. He charged $2,500. I got a call from him the other day that they paid the $2,500. That was enough to pay for his thermal gen. That was enough to pay for his ULV. And he was happy as hell. And Cliff, I thought it kind of went full circle, buddy. You showed me 30-some years ago how to do it, and now I'm out there showing some other kid how to do it. And it's kind of fun. Well, you know, I think one of the things in life that's been most important to me uh, is is making a difference. And, you know, it was something that I didn't start with the intention of making a difference. But, uh, you know, when someone tells you that you made a difference in their life or their business, uh, you know, it's one of the best compliments, uh, you know, th- th- that anyone can ever get. Why are large well, commercial? I'm sorry. Let's look at this just to carry on for just a second there. Let's look at that. You made a difference in my life. I got over 250 shopping malls back online. Big box marts, Walmart, Sam's, Target, Sears, you name it, Dillard's, G. Fox, Lord & Taylor's, whatever, from coast to coast. How many people did that put back to work? How many hundreds of factories have I done over the last 30 years, all over the United States, from fish factories in Kodiak down to wherever, all over the United States? How many people did that get back to work three days earlier? And when I worked with my restoration guys, I was just uh, gave a seminar last week at a suite on the beach, beautiful suite down here on the Clearwater Beach. And then I went to uh, middle of Kansas. I just got back yesterday from there. What I'm finding out is a lot of these restoration companies are running into the same, some of the same challenges over and over again. And a lot of them, to be honest with you, don't know some of the basis of our very industry of insurance. They very well know the, uh, the type of training that's available right now through the different associations. But if you do a survey of most people, they don't know the difference between, most restoration guys don't know the difference between in a a broker, a CAD adjuster, an independent adjuster, a risk manager, et cetera. And some of the stuff I do is just kind of clear them up about what the food chain is, who answers to who in corporate America. Good. How can a small restoration company increase its visibility and its business footprint? I think what it needs to do is to find out what the owner's manager's goals are. They need to actually sit down. I can build a, a, a 
path through any jungle that will take me anywhere, but it will only go in the direction I want if I come up with a goal. I want to go to a certain heading or I want to go to a certain mountain, etc. I think the owners of any size, small or large restoration companies, or any small business for that matter, needs to find out what do we want to do. When I sold Catco in 1989 in St. Louis, which is still going well there, I decided all I wanted to do was large industrial, large commercial losses. That's all I wanted to do. And in those 20 years since then, all we did was industrial commercial. We did do one house. It wasn't my fault. We were called on it. And we had to next day call up and say, get me the foot off that list. But um, I said, I'm getting a freaking semi-truck stuck in a cul-de-sac. Way to get me off. And the gal who's in charge of the major insurance company for the whole region says, everybody wants on that list. You want off? I said, I only do things over 100000 You can call the local guy for that. I think what a local guy needs to do is find out what his passion is, Cliff. What does he want to do? And then find out where does he want to do it? Does he want to do it just in downtown Kansas City, Missouri, or does he want to do it all over the earth? Does he want to have crews in Malaysia in 10 years? What does he want to do? Does he want to go public in five years? Does he want to turn it over and buy yachts in two years? What is his financial goal? What is the jobs it's going to take to get into that goal? What type of jobs does he want? Does he want to do only commercial? I was told again recently, twice, three times this past week, we have to do the small home losses in order to do the large stuff. And I look at that and say that is absolutely incorrect. No home loss, State Farm, American Family Farmers, Allstate Adjuster is going to give you a 2 million square foot distribution center. They don't have them. The guys handle the million square foot and up DCs, they're handling the major losses. Those guys will never, ever, ever, ever give you two rooms in a house in a couch. They won't. It's a different animal. So, therefore, if you want the big stuff, who has got it? Where do you want to go? Who are those people? Who are the risk managers? Who are the corporations? Who's got it now? What are they charging? What are they selling at? You've got to do some homework, and there's just no way around it. You've got to do some homework. Where do you want to go? Jim, it's, it's... what I get sometimes is people just saying, you know, we want it right now. And it's like, buddy, this is how to do it now. Do your research. Do your intel. Do your research. It, it, it sounds like you're a planner. I mean, do you plan all of the stuff in your mind, or are you the, the type of person that also writes it down on paper and, you know, looks at it often? I'm talking more about soul-searching, Cliff. What does the manager, what does the owners want to do? Why are they in business? Have they bought themselves a job, or are they looking at expanding to something else? When you and I were working with a Sears wet vac and first red little dehumidifiers and all, I had no idea I'd be taking international clients to the Atlantis in Nassau on a company yacht. Come on. Mm -hmm. To show them, of course, what would happen if the place flooded, of course. Right. But, right. uh. You know, we had the corporate jet ski, shuttle one and shuttle two. We had a lot of fun. We had the company, you call it a hot air balloon, I call it a loss observation platform. We, uh, we never started off thinking like that. All we thought about was how to do the next job, how to do it bigger, better, how to do it faster, how can we do this? And then I absolutely hate being in an office. You know me, I hate being in an office. I would much rather be out there knee-deep in the stuff looking at plant manager, looking at risk manager in the eye, et cetera, going, yes, sir, I can get this factory back in operation. I can get this mall back in operation. I can do it. And then then my game becomes naming that tune. 
getting that place back in operation, getting a thousand people back to work, getting a hundred people back to work. And the opportunities is, is wide open now since it's ever been cliff. Jim, doesn't it take a lot of money, you know, a big bankroll, uh, a huge cache of equipment, a large number of skilled staff to complete large losses? Well, if it did, I never had it when I started. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, the opportunities out there now, Cliff, are amazing. Yes, at one time I had 10 semi-trucks full of equipment and gensets mounted on them, and I had Caterpillar engineers spend a ton of money, and dang, if I'd send out 19,000 calendars, and if my buddies over at Belfort or my buddy Frank Eaton or somebody would have something six months later that was exactly the same design as I put out on my calendars. That takes a lot of money. That takes millions. But I started off with a serious wet back. I started off earning that money. With the capability we've got right now, with the different restoration companies out there, with the different rental companies, whether it be uh, Sunbelt Dry Co., uh, Frank Eaton's Group, uh, et cetera, anybody can rent large equipment. So what that means is that you need to do your homework. You need to study. You need to learn your business. You need to learn it. Take every school you can take. Take every one of the IQAs, online educational classes. Go to every IICRC, IRA, restoration coach, et cetera, you can possibly do. So when you get out there and you're confronted with something, you will at least know what the industry standards are, and you can think with what are the possible solutions based not upon one school or one patch, but based upon the entire training you've had. And that would be my best advice to anyone is to take all the training they can possibly take and learn the business inside and out for the area they want to be in. And that will pay off better than gold. Jim, I have a text question, and I, I think it really makes a lot of sense. When you entered the business in the you know late 70s, early 80s, uh, we really didn't think much about uh, indoor environmental quality the way that we do today. What the question is, is, is could you explain what the role is for experienced indoor environmental professionals, engineers, industrial hygienists in these large losses? I don't recall ever doing a large mold project, IQA type or IQ type project, without my insistence that the company I'm working for, the Fortune 100, Fortune 500 company, hires an expert like you're just saying. The way I like to operate, Cliff, is that the company, whether whatever corporation it is, hires the I indoor quality specialist, the CIH, etc. He comes up with a protocol. I sit down at the sit-down meeting, and I come up with a price to meet that protocol. Now, I have to know the standards very, very well in order to know what my price is going to be to bring it in on that CFUs or per cubic meter, et cetera. So I have to know it, too. But I think those people, have, those professions, have an incredible responsibility to be the check and the balance to our end of the profession, so to speak. I personally don't ever recall my company ever doing an indoor quality sample, although I worked on many hundreds where the CIH or others would do it. And then I would sit down and tell them what I would charge them to meet that protocol. 
and we never exceeded our price once ever. Didn't happen. Good. All right. Well, Val, we're about halfway. Uh, what we want to do, Jim, is please hang on the line. We're going to stop now for a uh, commercial break, and then what we can do is uh, pick up again in a couple of minutes. So please hang on. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry. For fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing, learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back. Jim, uh, thanks for hanging on. Uh, let's continue uh, you know, with our interview questions, what are some of the factors that influence selection of a restoration contractor by risk managers or general adjusters or high-profile clients following a catastrophic loss? I think image, confidence, and confidence would be three buzzwords you could you can uh, put that under the entire uh, heading of professionalism. I was talking several weeks ago, a month ago now, I guess, to an international vice president of claims of a major, major factory insurance company that I've owned for over 30 years. And we were talking about this discussion we've had in the past. Their loss, their liability, their risk, their responsibility, 
on a major loss is over $100 million. That doesn't mean my bills are $100 million. That means that that's how much they're thinking about. If the restoration's job and the restoration contractor's bill is a million, they should only take one one-hundredth of the time of that adjuster, this manager, et cetera. When the restoration company starts playing the date rapes, the find them, get them in, charge them what we can until we get kicked out and negotiate down and blah, 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 that's taken 20 and 30% of the time of those professionals, those claims professionals, which really have a lot of other issues on a major claim than, uh, than what we might know of. Uh, there was a member of our industry recently who uh, had 135 skilled workers on his bill to clean up tornado trash off of the roof of an aerospace place that came off, and he put 14 PMs on there. Okay, PM. When adjusters see that, they want to turn around and do a preemptive strike on the next restoration company. They want to cut their tail off before we even show up on the job. Just to clarify, All for it takes, the, okay, I'm sorry. Great. Just to clarify for the audience, what is a PM? Project manager. Project. In manager. other words, the company put they called skilled workers and charged for skilled workers to go out in the fields and pick up insulation or tornado trash. Normally, a project will have one project manager per shift or one project manager per project on a large restoration project. These guys had 14 at once on the bill. Insurance companies live it over it, needless to say. That is why we go out on losses, Cliff, and sometimes the adjusters want to come in with their arms folded or a samurai sword to cut our bills in half before we even show up on the job site. There's unprofessionalism in our industry, and every time that that happens, we all get a black eye. So one of the things I really enjoy doing is working with insurance companies, with corporate America, and with restoration companies to kind of say, can't we all be on the same team? Can't we huddle to get through this? The challenges should be how fast can I get these thousand people back to work, better, cheaper, and faster. It should not be what gains I put on the invoice so that the adjuster's expert has to take them off the invoice and the game goes around. I know you've seen this for 30 years as well. Jim, There's a what's a clerk of the works? Clerk of the works is someone who should be totally not biased, they should work for the insurance company as an independent consultant, and there's somebody to every day on the job site basically count noses, count equipment, etc. One of the processes I've used for many, many years, very, very successfully, is I have my agreement signed up front with Exhibit A being my price list, Exhibit B being my scope. If not on the emergency service first couple of days, but after the first sit-down meeting, that's first sit-down meeting, to whereby all I need to do is come in under time and under budget, and I'm the hero. I request, strongly request, that the insurance company hires a CPA or clerk of the works on large jobs to audit my bill every single day. Every day I have a spreadsheet. Every day I know at midnight one exactly what the billing is. The only exception might be with hotel is that night. 
And I love having a CPA come in and count my equipment, count my noses, count my whatever. And therefore, every week to 10 days, I send in an interim billing. The last billing, I just do a recap and send it in. I like interim payments. I like getting paid for my emergency service in the first few weeks. I like getting paid for my first invoice in the first few weeks. And I like the insurance company or the risk manager, the corporate America, bankrolling my site, my job. Going back to what you were saying, how can a small guy compete? This is exactly how a small guy competes. He can use rental equipment. He can do upfront billing. He can request the CPA on the dime of the insurance company audit his bill. And Cliff, there's nothing easier to get paid on than a CPA audited bill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I like getting paid. No, I mean that's probably the most important part of the, you know, of the project. Uh, What sorts of large loss marketing tips or, or secrets can you share, you know, with our listeners, you know, our listeners are comprised. We have a lot of restoration contractors that listen. We also have a lot of indoor environmental, you know, professionals, industrial hygienists and, uh, you know, microbial remediators. So what sort of loss marketing tips and secrets, uh, you know, can you give us? Well, once again, I'm a big fan in, in uh, market research. What clientele do you want? What jobs do you want? Who has got those jobs? How much are they charging? What type of industry has those jobs? It's six, you can do it on the web now. And then find out where those jobs are being given from. If you're going after houses, which I don't do, that's where people go into the agents and drop off the cookie jars, etc., My field has always worked much better, getting to know the corporations, getting to know what they need and want, delivering it to them, always being under time and under budget. I was with Vice President Operations Major Company a couple weeks ago, a month ago, and he said, basically, in 25 years, I've never exceeded and not to exceed once. It never happened. I've got that reputation. It's always come in on time, on budget, under time, under budget. That is a marketing ploy by having my bills audited daily by insurance company clerk of the works, by CPAs, we get paid for by the insurance company, or someone like Jonathan Held, J.F. Held Associates, or Randy Wilson, that's in Driscoll and D'Amico. There's some very good restoration guys out there that are working for the insurance companies. Um, that's a marketing strategy of mine so that when the bill comes due to the final payment, there's not this let's make a deal that you and I have talked about in the past. Or 90 days later, the adjuster's saying, I know I owe you 100000 but I can only write you 52000 now. Will you take 52000 now, or I send it back at the home office, and they'll knock it back down, and we'll knock it back down. You won't get paid for 180 days, blah, blah, blah. And the restoration company so strung out. Now he says, I'll take that 52000 but I really earned 100 blah, blah, blah. I, I hate that game. I don't play that game. So from the marketing standpoint, there is no better marketing than to have a client who you've done a very good job for introduce you to other people who are his peers. If it's one shopping mall to another shopping mall, if it's a factory to another factory, if it's uh, just somebody in your local town to somebody else, there's nothing better than having that past client be your word-of-mouth referral to the next guy. And that works more than you'll ever know how much that works. That uh, 
that works better. I'd like to say yellow pages. I like to see websites. I'd like to say ads and claims magazine, business insurance magazine, risk management magazine. I've done all that. Uh, but uh, the best there is is just doing a dang good job, doing it to the best of your ability, coming in on time, on budget, under time, under budget, being very professional, handling the situation, and then asking for a referral letter, and then coming back a month or two or three later, seeing the adjuster who you might not have known, asking for a referral. And uh, after a while, it becomes a juggernaut. It becomes a snowball picking up steam. Before long, you start getting called all over the freaking United States if that's what you want. Jim, we've talked a lot about, you know, restoration losses and, you know, fire and, and water and, and, and mold. Can you predict where the next big need and opportunity is going to be for disaster <laughs> restoration firms? Yeah, but I don't want to do it on the air. Everybody will do it then. Okay. Uh, I was doing asbestos in the early 80s as a consultant before everybody jumped into asbestos. I was training fire departments in hazmat long before hazmat, before it came to do it. I was doing million-dollar decontamination and mold projects when my top competitors were turning them down because they were too scary. I got in early in all those industries, and I was very fortunate to be in early in all those. I think that if you look at the current world affairs right now, that you'll see that there is some very big unrest. America and other companies like us are not loved by everybody in the world, and I actually think that there's going to be more natural and man-made disasters. Now, as you know, I work as an OSHA trainer. I work for University of South Florida OSHA Training Institute as a disaster site worker trainer, and OSHA is trying to come up with a team, a cadre as they call it, of professionals that can respond to natural and man-made disasters. Natural, such as Sandy, such as technological, dance breaking, floods, etc. Man-made, such as terrorism, what we call cyber and chemical, biohazard, radiation, nuclear, energized explosives. The more I get trained in this, and I'm working on a bachelor's degree at uh, AMU, dealing with emergency management and disasters. I'm working for uh, Texas A&M on courses on a certificate for uh, Homeland Security, and I'm working, of course, with USF, OSHA Training Institute, on disaster site management. And I'm a trainer dealing with cyber and cleaning up after weapons of mass destruction, et cetera. I honestly think that there is going to be attacks in the United States, that there is going to be anthrax, dirty bombs, et cetera, and... I know that my friends at the FBI and my friends at OSHA feel that we are not, do not have the capability of cleaning them up. So if you put four sticks underneath a, um, a dynamite, underneath an X-ray machine, parts of it, in front of the um, Caesar's Palace, you could close down the strip for three to five years. That would hurt the great state and that would hurt the country. And there's not enough people to clean that type of stuff up. And I frankly think that corporate America would pay dearly to get their poker chips back. You know, it's uh... it's a little bit out there, buddy. But then I've always been there a little bit out there. Trust me, NASA. Trust NASA. Trust me on Mars. You know, you know I, I I I think that it is a sobering uh, thought that you know if there aren't uh, attacks here, there certainly could be attacks in in other countries. You know, we we really need to you know to think globally and. Uh, I mean, do you do you think that the cleanup and restoration technology actually exists to 
you know, clean up after a dirty bomb, to clean up after something that's biological. Um, do you think that... Well, that, it's kind of funny you ask that, buddy, because realistically, if you look at the uh, at the protocol for, uh, for anthrax, it's uphill, upwind, 300 feet back, keep people away, and go in with a type D or type C with a PAPR respirator, and... Uh, 5% bleach as a decon. Now, to some of this, that almost sounds like a mold protocol. Right, right, right. <laughs> but there's an extra zero on top of the side, at the right side of it, you know? Right. Because it's not going to be insured. Uh, anthrax, for example. This... Hello? I don't think we lost him. Do you want me to call him back? that happened at the Super Bowl, it's until 50,000 people started dying. And that would make the news. Yeah, it would. Jim, can you just repeat what you just said? Because I think we lost <laughs> you for a second. Okay. Okay. Basically what it is, I honestly think that the state of affairs of this world, and I'm just I'm telling you as an OSHA trainer for disaster site workers, I think that we are going to, the United States is going to be hit by a biohazard, by a dirty bomb, um, definitely energized explosives. I think when that happens, Cliff, you're going to have restoration companies jump into the decontamination business, similar to what we saw with mold, similar to what we saw with hazmat, similar to what we saw with, um, with asbestos. And one thing I'm doing is working with risk managers, et cetera, to come up with contingency plans. Now, I'm not coming in there as some right, totally off-the-wall cook. I'm talking about OSHA here. I'm talking about EPA. I'm talking about CDC. I'm talking about the FBI buddies of mine. And you sit down with the risk management, talk to the corporate Americans, so we need to have a contingency plan. And by the way, if you happen to have a bad fire or flood or mold problem, I'm your guy too. So it comes right back into what we've always done. Okay, Jim, what's the funniest incident that ever occurred to you on, you know, one of your losses? You know, I don't know. I've seen some nasty stuff in 30 years. Um, I guess some of the funny stuff would be you almost had to know the people involved, et cetera. I, I remember it happened while guys were out of town for six months on a big decontamination mold job or something. Had been in a little tiny hotel down up Brownsville, Texas, for a long, long time. And one of the new guys caught a baby rattlesnake out behind the motel and decided to take it home as a pet, taking a rattlesnake. And he put it in a uh, mason jar, poked holes in the ceiling or in the roof of the lid of it, and then uh, put a stick and some blades of grass and kept his baby rattlesnake in his, his room. The other men, not wanting to have a rattlesnake, in the next room over at night when they're tired, uh, took it out behind the hotel and released it and then brought it back to the dresser where it had been, tipped it over, and put the lid down. <laughs> at 3 a.m. in the morning, took guys out with his bath in his parking lot and a flashlight going, snakey, 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 snakey. <laughs> and the other men were in the room about ready to, <laughs> to bust a gut. They were laughing so hard. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, field expedience. Uh, that was pretty good. So tell us a little it's bit. Not quite as good as somebody with a mustache who happened to put some soap in a uh, bottom of a waterfall in New Orleans one time at a hotel. It was, it was close. I hear you. I hear you. 
Uh, how does the restoration guy get to work around the world for NASA, uh, Canadian space agencies, uh, and other research organizations? Well, in my case, I honest to God believe in training. I honest to God believe in all training can. And I was in a Jim Holland class one time on infrared tomography. And I was kind of daydreaming about the uses of infrared tomography and was wondering if a certain wavelength, if you could see the mist coming off of a substrate that's wet. And uh, I started researching it. I presented some international papers. I was internationally published. I went to Greece, et cetera, with scientists. And uh, NASA contacted me and said they were wondering if they could find wet substrates on Mars using the infrared band. I was asked to come down to Chile, down to the Atacama, driest desert in the world. I went down there for several weeks. Uh, I just happened to fit in very well with the NASA team. What I realized was that a lot of these guys are very close friends, close colleagues now, down with friends. And uh, they have incredibly high IQs. They're brilliant people. They're very good at astrobiology, geology, etc. But they needed someone like myself who had 30 years of logistics. Money management materials, how to get trucks around the country, how to get this and that. For example, one time out in the Mojave Desert, a team of scientists went off-road in a Dodge Aerostar minivan without water, without shovels, come-alongs, or anything, and got stuck right at dusk. And thank goodness they had a cell phone that had one bar and they had a GPS they could kind of read. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to find them. So I just went out there and got it, and had four-wheel drive and chains and everything, and got them out of there. And NASA called it a rescue, and I said, you know, it's somewhere between a rescue and a AAA type thing. After my second or third or fourth or fifth expedition around the world, I just became one of the guys. And I started working with my entire protection office, NASA Ames with the R&D, and now I've completed 10 NASA research science expeditions around the world the uh, Australian Space Agency or the Victorian Space Education Center in Australia has a, uh, a YouTube video, Jim Thompson in Australia, NASA, on, uh, on YouTube. Um, European Space Agency asked me to teach at the International Space University at Ames, and uh, so I addressed, taught at NASA Ames to uh, students from 35 countries, and um uh, Right now, the uh, NASA is using my research, and I'll probably be going on another NASA expedition in the next couple of months. I just fit in. Well, it's, it's good to know people that, I guess, could have been an astronaut, maybe, if they uh, kind of put their mind to it. Let's go to a roundup. Well, I don't know, man. The, the head of the Canadian Space Agency, uh, Science Branch, good friend of mine, uh, said, we need you to be on Mars. We need you to take you to Mars. And I said, you know, I'm talking, is this... Is this like Southwest? You get two seats where I bring up the center, the center armrest? Come on, man. To put me on Mars would cost three times more than putting your normal astronaut up there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hang on. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up. Raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out. Cut him out, ride him in.
Okay. Uh, we're going to bring on Dr. Dieter. Well, Dr. Dieter, what do you think about what our guest was talking about today? Uh, am I on? Yeah, right? You are. Okay, very good. Uh, uh, Jim, thank you for a bunch of wonderful, wonderful points. You made the one point twice in the beginning and at the end. I guess that's what you learn as part of good teaching. <laughs> In the beginning, you said, you know, guys, it's a good idea to get training, 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 training. And uh, I have been a professor, now retired, at the University of Pittsburgh in the Graduate School of Public Health, Occupational and Environmental Health, with the Radiation Health Department. And um, I, uh, I know a little bit about teaching, and I suggest that to everybody. Um, you mentioned it again towards the end. You are taking courses right now. You're not I'm taking classes. I know everything. There is nothing else I can learn. You are taking courses right now. I think a lot. Of, I hope a lot of people copy your 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 attitude. Overall, I love your 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 approach. Uh, another thing, I'm a. So far, I'm a certified industrial hygienist. I still have to fill out my forms this year. And I love the way you approach your business. You told, uh, and I get to the insurance in a second. You said, look, I'm a professional. I'm not cheating over here. I'm not working at midnight on Saturdays and Sunday nights only. I'm here to do a job in a professional manner, and I want to be judged by a professional. I think that is a wonderful idea. Uh, there are no ifs and buts about it. To try. You're similar to say, said, I want to have a CPA. Check my books every day. I'm not here to cheat. I'm not here to charge you for, for 100 uh, machines if I have only 99. That's not, I, that's not how I operate. And I think that is the bottom line for your success. It's, it's, uh, uh, I, I, I really, I really like that. I, it's, it, I, I couldn't agree more. The other thing is, and I'm in the middle of it, uh, know your insurance, and most people don't do, including me. I, uh, yeah, I'm at this uh, social security thing and plan A and B and insurance companies, and I got all these pamphlets over here. I didn't read them. I finally made a couple of phone calls. You know, when you're a young person, you don't give a damn about um, about retirement and, <laughs> and Social Security. But uh, it behooves you to do that. I was a little bit late. And I have, thank God, I have a couple of friends whom I can call. And I said, hey, now, how the heck does this work? Um, so... Uh, I uh, we are fine there. Um, I also I also agree, unfortunately, with Jim's opinion on another attack on the United States. As a matter of fact, I am surprised it hasn't happened. How many nuts and crazies are there for whatever reason? And I'm not only saying Arabs or 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 or, or left wingers or right wingers, whatever. Uh, it is, and I will not tell you how to do it. Uh, 
it is so easy to really do something nasty. And uh, I know several ways of getting things to the TS, what is that, Transportation Safety TSA guys, and I, um, uh, which is very easy to do, really. But, um, and like I said, I'm surprised uh, that we haven't seen that. We know that we don't have enough people who know how to clean the mess up. We know what happened with the anthrax attack in uh, uh, in Washington, D.C., where somebody said, oh, here's that white powder. Uh, give me a, an air hose, and I just blow that away, and it's over. <laughs> so, um, I mean, overall, and by the way, your business approach, you can, I, I, I can give you uh, 10 other professions where you can use the same principles. And if you're, if you're an honest guy, you are upfront, you can charge a little bit more, you do your job, you do it on time, you do it within the budget, and once in a while you've got to bite the bullet and don't, don't make as much as you thought you would make, but that is okay. You make it up on the next job. So I shut up over here, and um, no, the other thing is, uh, Jim doesn't know him. Congratulations, Andy. <laughs> Andy <laughs> won again the trivia question. I think I know the answer to the trivia question. Well, you can go ahead and answer it. Someone's already texted it in, so if you know and, it. Now, the problem is, I, I forgot. Wait a second. Oh, the mercury. Well, look at the dime, the old mercury dime. Um, that was, uh, uh, was it Greek or uh, uh, Roman? Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the guy who was running and, uh, and and going ahead of everybody, right? Right. Well, actually, you know, the question was, how did NASA's Mercury spacecraft capsules get their names? And actually, the answer, uh, actually, uh, John got it today. John Lapotier, Microship, got it, texted it in. But actually, each astronaut uh, named his own capsule and then added the numeral seven after it to denote the teamwork of the original astronaut. So oh, I see. That's, that's and I, I have a question. We have, yeah, we have a minute. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question. He is, uh, is uh, multi-engine rated and instrument rated and what have you. I still can land a, a glider with about a stall speed of about 15 knots or thereabouts. And I could teach uh, Jim how to land one of those in about 10 minutes if he... Uh, Jim, do you know when the emergency locator beacons were required and when, where it was written up? That's I do not, and I, I was also an air traffic controller. It, you know, ahead. I have stunned so many people on that. <laughs> I have in my hand Public Law 91596. Nobody knows what that is. I didn't know it was signed on December 29, 1970, and it's called the Occupational Safety and Health Act. <laughs> I'm going so the OSHA Act itself was for an oh, No, no, no. It's um, a subsection. Okay. And there it says, uh, uh, Section 601 of the Federal Aviation Act of 1958 is amended by inserting at the end thereof new subsection as follows. Emergency locator beacons, except with respect to aircraft air secret, it was not necessary for uh, for helicopters. And of course, all the commercial ones have that. And the other thing, talking about safety, uh, I worked in Alaska, 
and I haven't been on Mars yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I worked in Alaska, and they use now the emergency locator beacons. In the old days, they were expensive. Today, you can buy them for fourteen ninety-five, and of course, they work on a different frequency than the ones uh, used in aircraft. But uh, what a wonderful use of technology! I tell you, you get lost up there, you push the button, they find you. It's it's pretty There's good. There's actually several of those ACRs come out with one for four hundred dollars under the four hundred six band. We need to sit down and talk sometimes off the uh, off the record about uh, the OSHA because I'm an OSHA five hundred one trainer as well as a seven thousand six hundred trainer. I, I was I OSHA just OSHA love trainer. I was good. Uh, what the, the certification goes for five years, I think. And my mm-hmm. laps. I'm at the end of my career. I'm seventy three years old, so. Yeah, you know, I uh, I don't want to start a new business unless it's with young ladies and beer or something like that. <laughs> well, what I'm looking at realistically is that my clients are risk managers of mortgage corporations. They spend less than 1% of their time on burned buildings. They spend about 95% of their time on slip, trip, fall, and OSHA for their employees at their different facilities. Right. So if I go in, and I know more about 196122.2D triple I than they do. And my guys are all have 10 hour and 30 hour cards. And my guys all have respiratory fit. And my guys all know this stuff backwards and forwards. They are going to be impressed with my professionalism in their subject. And at that point, they have a total confidence about my subject. Yeah, well, I, I said that before. You can. Make a parallel to any other pro- if you get if you need your car repaired, and somebody says, "Okay, we have a guy over here, and uh, the job is estimated at two hundred dollars, and um, it, it's done by a professional. Everything is fine, and you and you say, "Ah, well, maybe two hundred is a little bit too much for that." You go someplace else. They said, "We do it for hundred bucks." They do it for hundred bucks. You get your car back uh, dirty. You they said, "Oh no, we don't give a warranty. We give a warranty of one day." And um, and uh, uh, if something breaks down, uh, that's your fault. That's not our fault. Where do you go? I gladly pay the two hundred bucks. No doubt, no doubt in my mind. Exactly. And don't think, you know. In, in closing, basically, Cliff, I guess you go back to almost the golden rule. But is if you were paying for this service out of your pocket, would you be as pleased with your job as when you were taking their money and putting it in your billfold? Who are you going to recommend? The person who does it at half price, like gentleman said here, and brings it back dirty and doesn't work, or a guy that brings it in and instead of two hundred brings it in at one ninety six, everything's vacuumed, etc. I've made an awful lot of money. I've purchased an awful lot of money per hour and per jobs, etc. But I wanted to make sure that when I work, that the person is absolutely getting the best value they possibly can by having me there. They recommend me to others, they recommend me to others, and the millions followed. It didn't start that way. That's the way that happens, and that's business. Gotcha. Well, Jim, we always like to give our guests the last word. Is there any final comment uh, that you'd like to make, anything that you'd like to add? And what we'd like you to do is please give your contact information so that our listeners can get in touch with you. So uh, any, any last word, any final comment? Yeah, the, the basic thing is, and just to reiterate again, 
take all of the industry training you can possibly take in your section of the industry that you have a passion for. You know if someone is just trying to milk a bill, you know if someone is passionate about getting you out of that factory fire hole again or even out of a house loss or something like that. Become a professional at your own trade. And whatever end of that is, and don't worry about the money because the money will come, and it will come more than you'll ever dream of. It did with me. But I focused not on the money. I focused on being a professional. Uh, yes, I do give seminars. I've got one coming up down here at the, the lake, down here, excuse me, on the beach, uh, the 30th of January. My website is uh, com. My telephone number is 727-424-2000, What I do is I come in for two or three days with the restoration company. I sit down. I find out what are their goals, what are their challenges, what are their problems, where do they want to be, and I use everything I know to be able to get them to the next step up on the ladder, not to the top, but to the next step up on the ladder. I can't take a guy who's doing $100 jobs and taking the million-dollar jobs, but I can take a guy who's doing a lot of $50,000 jobs and possibly get him to that next step and the next step, et cetera. I do not work with startups. There's plenty of good training out there. I don't work with 800-pound gorillas. We spent my life fighting those guys. And I don't work with franchises because they have their own operations manual. And what my job is is to expand the guy's footprint, make him more money in a larger area of control. Hey, Jim, what, what was your website? Jim Thompson? Jim, www.jim, J-I-M, Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, C-O, for company, oh, dot com. It's C-O. Dot com. Jim, Thompson, okay. C-O, dot com. Got it. And I'm also on LinkedIn, et cetera. And uh, guys, just be get as much training as you can. And I love the Indoor Air Quality Association. And there's the new uh, online courses you can take i suggest taking every single one of them all right before okay. thank you before we leave we want to thank today's guest jim thompson for a great interview my co-host radio joe Hughes, is working down south carolina our engineer val bender our technical director dr dietrich wow but most importantly we want to thank you our growing audience of loyal listeners please come back and join us next friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. I'm never alone. I'm alone all the time. Are you at one? Do you lie? We live in a wheel where everyone steals. When we rise, it's like strawberry fields. Treating you bad, you bruise my face. Could love you more. You got a beautiful taste.
This has been another IAQ Radio production.